In today's world, we are increasingly dependent on technology. Our business and personal lives rely on it, but as you've probably noticed, it's unreliable. They promise it'll get better, but it usually gets worse. Our computers are slow, so we end up squinting at smartphones and tablets. We live in constant fear that something's going to happen to our personal data, so we're scared into paying for fake protection that proves useless when disaster strikes. Update attacks, fake Wi-Fi, cloud control, and other industry scandals are designed to keep the money flowing. The jokers we pay to fix our stuff have no clue what they're doing, so they do a virus scan and then wipe out our precious photos. Intelligent, successful people feel intimidated by the chaos and think it's somehow their fault. If they only knew what the industry was doing to them, they'd get torches and pitchforks. If only we had someone to explain it all in plain English so we can start protecting ourselves. Oh wait, we do! It's the Computer Exorcist Podcast with your host, Mark Anthony Arena. From the Wallace Memorial microphone in my home office, overlooking the hills of western New York, it's the Computer Exorcist Podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode. That means you're sticking around for some reason. Um, my name is Mark Anthony Arena. I am the Computer Exorcist. Special guest interview today, we have Riley Cagle. And he's going to explain to us uh, what he does. A uh, quick couple of shout-outs before we talk to him. I want to say happy birthday to listener Matt. Um, thanks so much for always being there and, and supplying good 90% of my articles that I discuss. Um, I want to celebrate. Thank you all again. We hit another milestone, 1,700 downloads. So that's so great. I'm, I noticed that this morning as I logged in here to my Red Circle. Um, also, review us on whatever podcast directory you might use. For example, Apple Podcast Directory or Podmatch or Podbean or whatever you listen to me on. Um, one of my clients said she left me a review, so I said, oh yeah, that's a good idea. I'll ask the listeners for that. So um, please do that if you have some time, and that's greatly appreciated. Um, you can go to my website, thecomputerexorcist.com, my newly remodeled website, by the way. Check it out. I spent a lot of hard work on that, spent a lot of months auditioning some site builder tools and a lot of frustration, but eventually I found a really good site builder tool, and the site is just perfect. It's as close to perfect as you could come. It's, it's The contrast was just so ridiculous between these horrible, infuriating tools and this one good one that I found. It's kind of a good thing. I like it that way. I'd rather have that than a lukewarm tool, right? Uh, I think it was mm. Jesus who said you could be hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth, right? So there was, I think there was one lukewarm tool, and that was the one where it was like, it almost gave me what I wanted, so I kept spending time with it, 
and it almost gave me what I wanted. But it's like, oh no, that's not. No. And and I wasted more and more time with it because it was so lukewarm, right? So I'm kind of glad that the other eleven were so horrible. But eventually, I think it was like the twelfth or thirteenth one or whatever. It was just phenomenal, and everything they did was logical and beautiful. So thecomputerexorcist.com, check it out. It's the first major refresh I've done since 2016. And it's just so beautiful and so clean and so modern and, and just so just spot on, simple, logical. It's readable, right? We just we read with our subconscious nowadays. We just flip through, flip through pages and flip through things. And we're not actually paying attention. So I make it little blocks, right? It's very easy to read little blocks. So Riley Cagle, welcome to the show. Tell us about you. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, I just want to start by saying that uh, all my opinions are my own on this show and not reflective of my employer. And so everything for, uh, that I say here is uh, based off a of personal experience and, uh, you know, my professional experience in the industry as I've lived it. And uh, but thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, that's totally understandable. I totally get that. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so my name's Riley. I am a registered federal lobbyist um, for worker health and safety in Washington, D.C. And uh, I've been here about three years and I've done just about everything uh, there is to do down here. I've worked on Capitol Hill. I've worked for the House of Representatives. I've worked as uh, I've worked in campaigns. I've worked for both national and local um, and I've also done a lot of uh, different trade association work as well and legislative analysis and monitoring. And so I am just uh, I've always been in politics my whole life. And uh, now currently I sit as a registered federal lobbyist. That's so cool. So you worked for representatives and now you're working outside of government per se, but as a lobbyist. So near them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, I did three. So to say uh I, say, I always say like I worked um, on the Hill and I and I and I did. I was paid, but I was uh, I was a paid intern. But I did so much like there that a lot of people didn't get to do. A lot of interns don't get to do. And we'll kind of dive into that, I guess, here um, a lot. But there's just so many things um, to talk about in that. That's really, really cool. That's that's great. And 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 if so. The reason why, I mean, uh, we just became friends recently, and I said, I got to get this guy on. He's so fascinating. Um, But the what I try to do with my show, like every other tech talk show, right? It's, oh, some printer came out, and you should throw away your old printer in the garbage and buy this new printer because it has more buttons on it. And these tech talk shows are so linear and so one-dimensional. And Mm -hmm. I try to do the opposite on my show, where I have all sorts of guests on uh, who are all sorts of uh, fields and I try to relate what I'm doing to what they're doing. Right. And, and be that well-rounded person that my dad told me I should be in high school. He said, cause I was a computer nerd. He said, you gotta be more well-rounded. So, uh, I, I, yeah, pride myself on finding interesting people. And as y'all know, if you've listened before, we do a lot of articles. So I try to find articles that are, um, that are related to what my guest does and try to get their unique opinion on it because, hey, guess what, folks? This isn't a hobby anymore. Technology has a huge impact on society, and that's what we're here to discuss and expose. Huh. So, yeah. 
Um, so Riley, what, when we were talking the other day, you had something really cool to say. I was either, I was grumbling about the government or, or saying something (laughs) about it. And, and you really gave me a nice insider perspective on what happens inside the office of one of our representatives in the United States government. Tell us, tell us what happens in the office. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if, if, if you did happen to be grumbling about, uh, the United States government and, uh, particularly the, the legislative body of Congress, um, elected officials, I mean, everybody, you're not alone. I mean, a lot of people do. Um, but I think it's, I think it's probably best to, you know, talk about, uh, how is a congressional office structured first? Um, Mm -hmm. so when you, when you talk about like uh, your local congressman um, in the House of Representatives, um, their office staff usually ranges about uh, anywhere between like eight and 12 people. Um, depends on how it's set up. Um, and then when you talk about your U.S. senator, um, you know, that depends. That size varies from 30 staffers to upwards of 60 staffers uh, in one office. And uh, they all operate like small businesses uh, in the Capitol. They're all different. Uh, they all have different office policies um, and they all run their businesses drastically different uh, based off of staffing. That's really uh, cool. I like that they're all small independent businesses. I, I remember you said that now. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, it's 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 really fascinating. Like some offices, like so the Capitol itself, and I, I like to use this example, like the Capitol itself allows like dogs in general, right? But like certain congressional offices like don't allow pets in the like in their specific office in the Capitol, but mm-hmm. other offices like you have people that bring their dogs in like every day. Hmm. Um, so it's, it like, it goes down to like those small policies. They're all different in there. And they all and, have different uh, vendors for their technology and different. Yeah. That sort of well, thing. um, yeah, well, sort of, yeah. Um, you know, there's three big, and we'll get into, you know, sort of the constituent part of it, like the constituents, what, what happens to the mail that you write in the calls that you call in, um, you know, and, uh, the emails that you send, uh, they all have, uh, it's really between three different vendors there for the, what they call constituent relations management technology. Um, constituent relations management technology. Good way to put it. Yeah. It's, it's really, really good stuff. Actually. Uh, the, the, it's, it's really cool stuff. The three of them, the three big ones are called, uh, fireside, uh, Indigov and IQ. Um, and those people like their whole business is just selling that technology to, uh, the legislative branch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, there's um, like a, not a, it's like an oligopoly basically. Um, sort of. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is a very highly specialized and a very small market. Mm-hmm. It, it's extremely small market, right? It, mm-hmm. Like you're selling to 535 offices on Capitol Hill and that's your market. That's, and that's it. absolutely limited. Um, but I still love that you have more than one or more than two, or you have three choices, yeah. right? I, I, because most small business industries, right? Bug exterminators, mechanics, whatever it may be, most of them are actually beholden to one tyrant. I remember I was in office, I was in someone's office once, and it, w- it was a modern machine I was setting up, but the software they were using 
was from this Monopoly guy, and he's one guy. Yeah. And, yeah. of course, the whole industry had to use him, and it was an ancient Windows 3.1 program that he kept slapping duct tape on every time Microsoft unleashed another version <laughs> yeah. of Windows on humanity. And I called him for help with, with his obscure product, and he, and he was just a guy in a basement in Alaska. And he goes, all right, yeah, are, are yeah. you done now? Can I go now? And I'm thinking, oh, great, you don't even have a customer <laughs> support person. It's just you. Um, so at yeah. least, at least you have three, I say this all the time on the show, at least there's some kind of a choice, please. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's so like the, what offices use, it's actually very fluid. Um, so like one year, like fireside will have like sort of a down year and something happens maybe in a couple offices, like a technical issue or something like that. And, uh, that can actually shift the tide. And then a lot of offices i know the last time i was there like a lot of offices were shifting over to indigov because indigov just came in and cleaned house and said hmm. gave a really good sales pitch and you know what a year or two from now it'll all be fireside and remember that you constantly have members of congress that are rotating in and out like new ones going in and old ones going out um so they have they don't just inherit the contract um, that the old representative had, they, so they have to, have to a negotiate a new contract with a with a new with a new company, like a constituent relations company. That's really um, good. Keeps them on their toes. Them. Like everything I talk about in this industry is human motivation or the lack thereof. Yeah, yeah, and they're they're constantly and you know they're constantly they're constantly like changing their prices and like you know they're constantly competing with each other. It's actually a really competitive business. Good. Because most of the cloud stuff isn't, right? And I always say on this show, if you have a Samsung phone or an Apple phone or whatever, even if they're not a monopoly with 100% of the market, since they've locked you in enough with all the billions yeah. of little features that they're trying to get you addicted to, they feel as though they can treat you like a monopoly. Yeah. Yeah. And and all of all all this all this management software, like all it is, is it's a and I actually don't know what the acronym stands for. Maybe you could help me out, but I know it as, it's just a CRM. Yeah, um customer um, relations management. No, no well is it is it, I don't think it actually stands for that though. I thought it stood for something else. Like people use CRMs in like business and stuff like that as well. Yeah. Oh, customer relations management. Okay, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I, I, I've, I, I now look a little bit uh, dumber. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's so many acronyms flying around. Yeah, and they change them every no, day. But yeah, it's it, it's fascinating technology, and I, I do want to stress to the audience, like this technology isn't a. It's not. It's not like an automation thing. It's it's just a way to organize the vast amount of correspondence that each uh, con congressional office gets. That's really cool. Yeah. Tell me, tell me how many letters they get every day. Yeah. So, you know, I have friends on the Hill that work in the Senate and, um, you know, the Senate's fascinating in terms of how much mail they get. I mean, you think about it, there's only two representatives for each state, right, in the Senate. Um, and you have certain offices and it, it obviously depends on like the name brand of the Senator, how famous they are. Like if you're talking about somebody like Bernie Sanders, um, you know, that's a really famous person. They're going to get a lot more mail from both in state and out of state. Interesting. Um, but one of the, 
one of the numbers that came across one year for one of the Senate offices that I know, they received 1.7 million phone calls, emails, and letters in one singular year. In one year. Yeah. In one year, 1.7 million communications from constituents, from non-constituents, um, and all of that, it, you know, again, you know, these offices range between 30 and 60 staffers, depending on the size of the state for the Senate, at least. Wow. So y- you have, you know, a lot of times it's like interns are the front line of handling constituent relations. And just um, out there getting when they when they call in, you're the person that they talk to. And so they receive so much that a lot of times the interns are the ones that are organizing a lot of this for a separate team of people. Uh, And they're called legislative correspondents and they are actual staffers Um, and they take all this communication. They kind of distill down each communication into batches based on like which issue is uh being talked about in the letter or the phone okay, call because a lot of them and, and same thing you know i got almost that many number of calls myself last year and certainly <laughs> i categorize everything as the same 20 questions right so i have a frequently asked questions list same idea right oh okay you're calling about your wi-fi all right here's your yes. answer and i have the same three sentences i tell each person yeah right Right. And and by explaining this process, it does seem by nature a little disingenuous. Like it may seem like you're not getting like your representative's response from it. Like you may say to yourself like, oh, I'm just getting a letter from some paid staffer, not the actual like, congressperson. Mm, and it's a canned but, answer. But I totally get that only because I've been on your side of the desk before. I get it. Yeah. Where, look, you know what? I'll start out with a canned answer, but then I'll certainly talk to the person and customize it and whatever right yeah well and i do want to stress out of that that um you know the legislative correspondence job is to draft up like a letter or an email response usually the letter and the email are the same thing just different formats but the each of those responses on issues such as like gun control right um it's very popular issue after Every single like uh, mass shooting in America, Congress gets flooded with calls um, about like gun safety and the Second Amendment. And so every so a legislative correspondent will draft that letter for the congressman or, or congresswoman. And then they actually do present that letter and it is read by the elected official. And they do actually sign off on it. They say, yes, this is my stance on this. This is what I would say on it. So the legislative correspondent's job is to write the in the voice of the person that they work for. So and get that down. And it is reviewed by the members. That's actually really reassuring, knowing, okay, look, that's fine. I totally get it if an intern wants to prepare your letter. But the fact that you have to read it and sign off on it, that, you know, that really that means a lot. Yeah, yeah, it does. It, it, it brings a lot more. I mean, the process is still genuine. It's just it is impossible for mm-hmm. a federal elected official at this point. It's literally impossible for a federal elected official to respond personally. Oh, to sure. So 1.7 million communication. communications a year. Um, mm-hmm. That's yeah. You wouldn't be able to do your actual elected job. I'm actually surprised that they're able to respond at all. You know, a lot of times you just assume, right? You send a letter to some company or whatever, and they're just not going to respond at all. Um, 
it's it's that's cool it's kind of like the usps how they do the write a letter to santa claus every december like they apparently they have to respond to every kid you know yeah and some offices some offices not all offices again they are all small businesses they run differently but some offices um they actually uh keep um you know certain people that call in about an issue um they'll select um like you know, 20, 30 people, um, a month, um, sometimes more, sometimes less. Um, but, and not every office does this, but they'll actually put it in a binder for the congressperson and, uh, they'll give it to them. And the congressperson will sometimes actually call those people back and answer their questions directly to them. If it's really uh, that's a lot more common in the house of representatives where they receive like, you know, somewhere like a hundred thousand, communications or anywhere between like 50 and a hundred thousand. Again, it depends on the office. Uh, some offices receive like 20,000, um, a year, but, uh, for those, for those offices, a lot easier to pull, you know, 30 people and say, Hey, here's 30 people that ask these questions. And, uh, you know, if you could give them a call back and answer the questions themselves, answer, uh, their questions yourself, that would be awesome. And, uh, I actually worked for an office that did that. That's so nice. And you know what? I'm thinking in my own office, right? I have a little shelf in my office. And if a client mails me a check and puts a little thank you card in there, sure, I'll plop the thank you card on my shelf for a while. Yeah. 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 No, totally. I mean, and and we we definitely like, you know, those people that like get calls back, you know, directly from the congressman, it's not people that like agree with the congressman it's it's not just people we don't cherry pick those responses Hmm. like uh, we we you know give deference to like people that are respectful kind Mm. nice like and if and even if they disagree if they call us and they say hey you know i I really disagree with the congressman on this issue but i would really like to for you to share my opinion with him and they're very respectful like that's we need that we we totally we totally need that because there are plenty of times when I'm like oh I'm mad about an issue but I even if I did if I ever yeah. did write them a letter I would be respectful about it because of course they're they're not going to listen if I'm mad. Yeah, it's I, I I mean I'll tell you man, being being an intern on the hill you you are the front line like I said you receive all the phone calls you take all the phone calls mm-hmm. and I will tell you that. I and I can say this with great confidence. I have genuinely seen the the darkest side of humanity mm. taking those phone calls. Mm. Um, there are people out there that um, they just kind of they're nameless and they're faceless, and they call in, and all that shows up is their phone number, and they just kind of think they can say whatever they want. Um, it's like and, on the internet; it's a keyboard warrior, right? It, sort of, yeah. It, you know, I've had I've had people you know threaten me before mm. over things. I've had people you know I've I've had people like say the craziest things to me over the phone that I I don't really want to get into. But um, you know for for an and when I was when I was an intern on the hill, I was looking for a job down here. I was sort of in between jobs. Just decided to take it because it paid me a thousand bucks a month, and I got to be in the building, mm-hmm. right? And um, but you know a lot of the a lot of the interns that I worked with they were like 18 years old. Right. And if you're an 18 year old taking those phone calls, like every day. And it's not your fault. You didn't cause these societal issues. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I had I got calls like that all the time from my clients. That's why I'm referral only because I I want people who already know of me because I you know I'll right. do a job for someone I'll get it all set up right. But my industry is full of slobs and all the products out there are unreliable garbage. So inevitably I'll get a call and I'll look bad right and wow this right. doesn't work right. And I was like all right look don't worry I do this every day. It's the product blah blah blah. Here's how we solve it. But I get it where it's like hey it's not my fault but I look bad. So, okay, so these brand new interns are 18 and they're getting these phone calls. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, some of these kids, like, they, the, like, I remember, you know, there was a kid that I knew on the Hill and his first phone call that he ever got was first somebody ever. threatening to kill him. Oh, like, great. Oh, great. And, welcome to the government. Yeah. Like, welcome and to I, the I, D.C. Yeah, like, I, I won't get into any more detail yeah. than that. I mean, it was, it was, but he was he was shaken up. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and there, there are certain congressmen that get, you know, more of the brunt of it just depending on what happened or like politics and stuff like that. I mean, if you actually want to hear a really great video of what it's like to, to take those calls, um, a, a great friend of mine, he worked for Adam Kinzinger's office and he actually put together a video um that adam kinzinger posted on his um on i think his official congressional page or one of his pages and it was just a recording of dozens of phone calls of people calling in that would just say i mean the craziest things and he was allowed to post them because technically they they gave permission for you know if they're out there they made that call right well, I mean, it, so it's not um, so they don't include any information about mm, the people mm-hmm. who called, um, you know, of course. So their private information is protected. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure the legality of, of that, but I assume if they posted it, it probably they probably checked it by like legislative council first yeah. to make sure. Um, so you know. so he takes the the craziest calls and plops them somewhere. Um, that would they did one day. Yeah, they did. Um, he doesn't do that like by practice because he's no longer he's no longer a congressman. But okay. on his way out um, after he lost his election or uh, I think he said that he, he either lost his election or he said that he wasn't uh, running for office anymore. I think it's I think he said he wasn't running for office anymore. But on his way out, um, he posted that video like of you know it's just you know black screen video with like some subtitles on it that tell you what people are saying but um i mean dude it 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 was scary it it was scary and i've been through a few calls like that myself where you know i'm genuinely overwhelmed and scary and i was in my 20s and like i and i was i was in my early 20s when i was on the hill wow that's you know I'd, i'd i'd rather stay out of the fame that's what yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Now, I don't want to yeah. spend more than a minute on this, but tell me what you were saying the other day about how they get so many letters coming in, emails coming in, that they're utilizing AI to generate responses. Um, I like yeah, your this, take on that. Yeah, sure. Totally. Yeah, this is this is sort of a new phenomenon. I don't want to say that everybody's doing it because I know that not everybody's doing it, but there is sort of a crisis going on on the Hill that, you know, or in D.C. in general, I would say, not just the Hill, like in politics in general, um, where, you know, we're receiving so many phone calls on so many issues every day. And the issue the 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 list of issues keeps growing and growing and growing it's no longer your standard stuff anymore 
Um, you know, you're not just receiving 150 phone calls a day about the Second Amendment or free speech or anything like that. You're receiving 150 phone calls a day and letters and emails also, by the way, on everything from humanitarian funding to the Second Amendment, to free speech, to, um, you know, what's going on with Trump right now. Um, to election fraud, to, I, I mean, it's literally every topic under the sun. I mean, there are hundreds of topics that people call and write in about every day. And then around the time I was there last, uh, ChatGPT really gained a lot of popularity in, in the country and everybody was kind of testing it out for the first time. Um, and, you know, I, I, um, I decided to do a little experiment where I actually had it, um, you know, write a, uh, a, a response letter to a constituent on an issue. Um, and when I did that, it, it spit it out. And then I, you know, I fat, I spit it out in about 30 seconds, um, you know, in, and I made sure to specify who it was coming from, who it was, what it was talking about. Um, and, I did a little fact checking on it and there were some things that I definitely had to change around. There were some stances that weren't entirely correct. Um, but after, I mean, minimal editing, it was probably 10, 20 minutes of editing. I gave it to the legislative correspondent whose job it is to actually write these letters. Um, and I said, Hey, you know, I use ChatGPT to like write this. What do you, what do you think about it? Is it good enough to send out? And he looked at it and he said, Riley, this is, this is perfect. Hmm. Like, and, and some people may say, you know, Hey, that takes away from the, like some people may get up, up in arms about the use of AI to like manage constituent relations and stuff like that. But I'm actually a big proponent of it um, because it, it, with this amount of communication coming in, it's so hard for Congress for Congress to genuinely communicate with all of its constituents. Mm -hmm. um, so difficult. And ChatGPT gives us a way to do that and put more letters on more issues in front of the congressman quicker and also allows the government to react quicker to situations. Mm -hmm. Um I, I will tell you firsthand, I would see a headline come up on Fox News in the office because we have TVs in the office and we turn on, you know, it's always on the news. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would see a headline, breaking news, come up on Fox News about um, something like a school shooting. And I would receive phone calls about that headline in 20 seconds later and i'm not exaggerating wow. saying 20 seconds it would wow. literally be within 20 seconds so whenever that headline when donald trump got indicted as soon as that breaking news shot up on the headline i received calls about that i think in 15 seconds 15 seconds that's wow. that that's literally how quickly this stuff happens it's like okay. as soon as it's almost inhuman how quickly it can happen where 
the headline comes up and within 15 seconds they're i mean they must be sitting there with the phone number on speed dial almost yeah and i i get it you know people are couch potatoes now i mean i i just i honestly i can't watch the news anymore i just i i don't care i, I do care but I, it's yeah. i realized hey look i can't do something about whatever it is is going on around the other side of the world and i'm not a governor and i'm not a whatever but guess what Instead of sitting on my couch worrying about it, I came up with this brand new idea. No one's ever done it before. It's called helping people around me who I can help, who I have the power right. to help. It's a new idea. Right. And I drive and, around you know, all day putting out fires. And um, <clears throat> so that's quite interesting. You know, I'll, I'll give you my quick stance on that. I mean, yeah, the problem with ChatGPT and with I mean with everything in my industry is oh everyone gravitates toward a brand name right ChatGPT and everyone right. else in the industry uh, Microsoft and whoever you name it they're all just rebranding their own form of ChatGPT right so it's still one right. monopoly one monolith Google has I believe their own alternative but it, it they rushed it to market so now and it's all hastily hastily published garbage. Um, yep. And it's all based on horribly unreliable ancient garbage technology under the hood. They're still running on normal PCs, and you know as well as I do how horribly unreliable that is. Um, yeah. If it's a monopoly or near monopoly, what the the fundamental problem is the homogenization of knowledge, right? If yeah. everyone in the world is sending a question to ChatGPT or Google. It's oh, we're all going to get the same response, and we we become even more unoriginal as people than we normally were. Like in in high school, I remember my friends who didn't have cable TV were really creative guys, and they were creative writers and that sort of thing. But the kids who yeah. did have cable TV, they just they were very unoriginal. They were boring. Yeah. Um, well, it, it, that's that's fascinating you bring that up because I use so like in my current job, they're very, very progressive on uh, AI use in the workplace um, and encourage um, us to use it. And we do we do make an attempt now to like cite that work, like whenever we use it uh, to write something, we um, we will actually cite that we used it oh, uh, which i think cool. is that makes future, a lot of sense it's very right? simple it's, you just hey we use this done and um but i i did you know it, speaking of you know this sort of monopoly and the the monolith companies um you know i, I use bard i use ChatGPT, but i my favorite one that i use right now is actually one that was built to be an ethical version of ChatGPT. by the way bard uh, is google's brand so that's their what? Bard is Google's brand, right? Bard is Google's brand, okay. yes. So those and, two. Um, Who's the third? The one? one that I use though is Claude. It's a C L A U D E, and it's by Anthropic. And their whole thing is about uh, creating a helpful, harmless, and honest AI assistant that is sort of bound by a certain amount of morality. Um, Instead of you know to where GPT right now is having this issue where people are throwing all kinds of stuff into it and now it's sort of getting as far as i understand it's it's starting to get a lot of stuff wrong oh and and if you if you listen to one of my older episodes i had a discussion with a political science teacher and we spent like two hours talking about how ChatGPT as well as microsoft's um microsoft tay it was one that they did a couple years back 
mm-hmm. um, that it was like five minutes before people convinced that it was a Nazi. Yeah. Yeah. It, like it, it's crazy. And that's, but I, you know, I haven't run into, I will tell you, I run into far less issues and I get a much better product using Anthropics version of it. Um, Claude, I, really I, I run into far less issues. Right. If you're going to move forward into this, here's a good alternative. And I say this with plenty of things, right? We don't necessarily yeah. want to stay in a cabin in the woods. You got to move forward. So check out the, the following technologies that are alternatives. That's right. a lot of that. And that's, that's mm-hmm. a really good point. Cause I've gone to happy hours around here. Like I, I go out to happy hours all the time and I meet with different legislative correspondents. And there's definitely like this fear around here that it's going to start like replacing certain jobs, like legislative correspondent jobs. And there's fear in the lobbying industry that certain like certain jobs in the lobbying industry are going to be replaced by AI. And my response to that is, look, you know, we can bury our heads in the sand on this technology for as long as we want. Or you can spend time like, you know, I currently am right now and uh, a lot of people that I know are. And you can learn how to use this stuff to its greatest efficiency and advantage. And then you are future proofing yourself because you're the only person in your field that knows how to use it properly. So many things I want to say to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, a couple things. Number one, I mean, I'm the only guy in my industry right now because who does modern tech support because everyone else is doing a virus scan back in you know that's right. 1990s technology viruses have never ever 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 occurred since 2013 but dudes don't know that so they're driving around looking for viruses like it's 1999 i have never yeah. seen one since 2013 there's a lot of new threats out there that i i yeah. train myself on and a lot of them are legalized threats we might talk about that later but um yeah. the the other thing so two important things. Number one, I like that you're still reviewing it. As you know, who cares if you if you do uh, what's that game? You know, if you do Scrabble and pour a bunch yeah. of letters on the board, fine, go ahead and play Scrabble as long as right. you, as a human, review whatever letters come out of there before you send it to a constituent. Always, yeah, always, always, always. Um, you know, that's that's the biggest thing with this is that you you absolutely have to review what is coming out because, it, it, I mean, on Capitol Hill and in politics in general, it's a very big PR game and words matter. Every word matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you put if you put the they always teach us when when you're learning about how to write legislation which I have a degree in public policy. That's what I was taught about. I, I learned, you know, how to write the language of, of a bill. Hmm. And they, they teach you the difference between shall, will, and may. Mm-hmm. And what do all those things mean? They all mean very different things legally. Mm-hmm. Like they all mean extremely different things legally. Um, and so if you put a will where a shall should be, it is a completely different bill. Um, and so you, you definitely have to, uh, review everything that comes out of every single one. It doesn't matter what, which one you're using. Um, but I, I, I tend to see that Anthropic's uh, version of it is a lot more accurate because Anthropic actually for my industry is perfect. Um, it allows me to uh, actually attach PDFs 
into the chatbot huh, and it them? will analyze um ginormous bills i've put i've put bills that are well over 600 pages into it and it will read the pdf and it'll summarize that bill for me wow and and you know what that's kind of a bad thing so you remember in the 80s right we had atari and we had old nintendo and the programmers yeah. had to program within the confines within the limit right it was eight kilobytes of ram right. or what have you but now I, I, these people who write these bills are like, ah, whatever, I'll just make it six billion pages because whatever, we'll have an AI look at it. So so it's kind yeah. of a bad thing if you remove that limitation from them. They'll go wild, huh? And that's well, what happened yeah, in I my mean, industry. It, there's, oh, it, so there's a, a whole industry in Washington. There's a whole industry of people. And I, this was actually my first job down here. It was, it was um, I, I don't know why I took it. Um, I had never made $42,000 in my life. And so when somebody offered me 42 grand to come down to DC, I was like, absolutely. And then I started to realize like how much of that money goes towards rent when your rent's a thousand dollars a month, like, you know, you're in poverty, but my job was to, we had a set of clients and, uh, all those clients, um, basically paid us to track bills in States for them. So we would find bills say, yes, this is relevant to their public policy priorities. And then we would type a summary of the bill and we would do this all manually. We would do this manually. Um, mm. And I would read the bill. I would summarize it down into about two paragraphs. Didn't matter how big the bill was. I mean, if the bill was a very large bill, we would usually you know, write a little bit more about it. But you know, we try to summarize everything down to two paragraphs and then send an alert to the client and when we send that alert to the client like it says hey these are bills of interest that you may want to review and then it already has the summary there for them and everything so you have companies in dc and a lot of companies like fiscal note stateside multi-state their entire business is doing exactly what i'm asking claude to do it's just summarizing big documents summarizing big documents, but also tracking them and letting them, there's another piece to it where it tracks uh, where the bill is in the process. Also when the hearings are for the bill, but realistically there is so much AI technology out there at this point that is doing all kinds of different things. It is not far-fetched and it's probably two, three years away where it's like two or three years away where you're going to have a legislative AI bot that can track legislation, that can summarize legislation, that can notify you of hearings, that can send you email reminders about it, that can do everything. Whoa. We're probably about two or three years away from that. I'm imagining, remember Number Johnny Five? That robot from that mm -hmm. '80s movie. I'm imagining number yes, twenty-five, yes, yes. uh, you know, with a suit and tie on, standing up and clapping at the State of the Union. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man! Yeah, um, yeah. What we should That's... do now is let's take a little break here. We'll come yeah. back mm -hmm. for part two. Um, Riley Cagle, thanks so much for joining the Computer Exorcist podcast. My name is Mark Anthony Arena. If you want to find out more about the show thecomputerexorcist.com buy my book for everyone you know and we'll come back next week with episode two um i'm gonna throw some articles at riley here and i've got some really good ones mm -hmm. can't wait to hear what he thinks and we'll talk to you soon